You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. The Spirit does not promote Himself, but Jesus Christ. The Spirit promotes Jesus Christ, never Himself. The Spirit never draws attention to Him, but He always points to Jesus Christ. You want to know if somebody's really filled with the Holy Spirit when they're doing all these kind of crazy things? Where's the attention being drawn? Where's the attention going? I guarantee it's going to them. True filling of the Holy Spirit gives all credit, all glory, all honor, and always points the way to Jesus Christ. Can we tell if someone is working in God's will? Today, Pastor Dave encourages us to test the spirits. The true Holy Spirit will point to Jesus. If someone is doing the work of the Holy Spirit, God will be glorified in the name of Jesus Christ. We should be magnifying Jesus while using our gifts for His kingdom. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 19 as he continues his message. Have you received the Holy Spirit? When a person yields their heart to the will of Christ, it's the Spirit of God who enters the person's life and the work of regeneration begins. This is the experience I believe that was described in John 20, 22, when Jesus breathes on them and said to the Holy Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit. This is the end experience. The Spirit took up residence in their lives for the first time ever. Go to Acts 1, and there is another relationship with the Holy Spirit. There's another relationship with the Holy Spirit. Again, a different Greek word. In verse 5, and then it's completed in verse 8. For Jesus says to his disciples in verse 5, John, truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The third relationship has become known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, or being filled with the Spirit, and it doesn't matter what you call it. It doesn't matter what you call it. The important part is knowing it. It's one of the experiences of this particular relationship with the Holy Spirit. Notice that this happens after John 20, 22. It happens after John, after he breathed on them and filled them with the Holy Spirit. Then this happens. You jump ahead to Acts 1.8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And there's the third word, upon. In the Greek, it's a P, E-P-I, upon. This refers, I believe, to the third relationship that the believer has with the Holy Spirit. You can call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus does. He called it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John baptized you with water, but you'll be baptized with what? The Spirit, not many days from now. The Spirit gives the believer an enabling power. Power to do what? Jesus completes the sentence in verse 8. You shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. The experience with the Holy Spirit is for one main purpose, to empower us to be witnesses to the lost world. Be witnesses to the lost world. Empower us to live the Christian life the way it's supposed to be lived. All right. I told you all that to go to today's study. Let's look at today's study. The Apostle Paul is returning to Ephesus. He said he would return. 
If you remember, he left Corinth. He took Aquila and Priscilla with him, and they visit the city of Ephesus at the end of his journey in Acts 18, 19 through 21. When Paul leaves Ephesus to go to Jerusalem, he leaves Aquila and Priscilla behind. He goes from there, and he goes to Jerusalem to fulfill his vow. Remember he had taken a vow? We studied that. After he fulfills his vow, he goes to the home church of Antioch, and he stays there a while, but the Holy Spirit prompts him, and he's gone again. Out on another missionary journey, he goes to the upper regions of Galatia and Persia, according to verses 22 and 23 and 18. So as we begin chapter 19, we see the Apostle Paul keeping his promise and return to Ephesus. Reading verse 1, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. Remember, Apollos had left Ephesus after Aquila and Priscilla explained to him the way of God more accurately in verses 26 and 28 of chapter 18. Apollos went to Corinth where the Lord used him mightily. You can read about him in Paul's letter to 1 Corinthians. But upon Paul's arrival in Ephesus, he finds disciples there. But something seems to be missing, prompting him to ask the question. And finding some disciples there, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? The word disciples or disciplined ones means followers, means learners. This word here leads us to believe that these were followers and disciples of who? Jesus Christ. That's what it leads us to believe. Remember, it says, when you believed? We have to remember one thing. This is written by Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke is a historian. He likes the facts. Nothing but the facts, ma'am, just the facts. He likes the facts, and he writes down the facts perfectly. If these were disciples of John, don't you think Luke would have written that? Remember, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. We believe that these are disciples of Jesus Christ. Paul seems to notice something missing about these guys. There's something different about them. What did Paul see in them that made him think there was something different? What did Paul see in this group that made him ask the question, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? When you believe? What makes a difference? What is the difference? What did he see? This is the Apostle Paul. Maybe there was a lack of spiritual dynamic. Maybe there's a lack of spiritual veracity or, or, or vibrancy. It was like faith without fervor. Maybe they showed no real love for spiritual things. You know, they could probably get more excited about talking about baseball scores than they could about Jesus Christ. Maybe the question, what have you done lately, spurred all kinds of excitement and all kinds of fun. But when you said, what has the Lord done lately? There was a dead silence. What was the difference between these men? Maybe Jesus wasn't the chief interest of their life. Maybe even their love for the things of the world exceeded their love for him. I don't know. Or could it be they were lacking real joy? We're not told. We have no idea what Paul saw in them, but there was something he saw in them that led him to ask this question. Their answer confirms what Paul suspected. Look at the rest of the verse. So they said to him, we have not so, so much as heard whether the Holy Spirit or not. Their answer leads us to believe that they didn't know that the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, had come. The Holy Spirit is talking about throughout the Old Testament. The Spirit of God. We looked at the Ezekiel chapter. We referenced the Joel verse. The Holy Spirit is talking about throughout the Scriptures. John the Baptist even testified about the Holy Spirit when he spoke of Jesus. He said in Matthew 3.11 and Luke 3.16, John answered all saying, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
So even John the Baptist talked about the Holy Spirit. These disciples seem to be unaware of what had happened at Pentecost. There must have been no power in their lives to be witnesses for Christ. There had to be something there that Paul saw. So Paul continues his questioning, trying to get at the bottom of the issue. What's the bottom of the issue? He says in verse 3, and he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. John the Baptist's baptism was into repentance for sin. John preached that people should repent because the kingdom of God was at hand. To be baptized by John was to be renouncing sin and vowed to sin no longer. But there was no power in it. There was no power over sin. They lacked power in their lives. Paul tells the men this. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him. That is on Jesus Christ. This really opened their eyes. Their eyes flew wide open when they heard this. Paul explains to these 12 guys that John's baptism looked forward to the coming Christ. The baptism of Jesus Christ looked back to the cross, looked back to the resurrection. There was a difference between the two. Wiersbe said this, John's baptism was on the other side of Calvary and Pentecost. It was correct for his day, but that day had ended because Jesus went to the cross. Jesus was placed in the tomb. Jesus was risen again. That day has ended. The Messiah had come. What did they know about this? Kind of reminds me of those two guys on the way to Emmaus after the resurrection. Jesus was walking alongside them and they had that wonderful, great conversation where Jesus went back and showed them every place he appeared in the Old Testament. What a Bible study that was. And how they didn't recognize Jesus for some reason. They sat down and as soon as he broke bread, they knew where he was. And what does it say? Didn't our hearts break? burn. I think that's what's happening here when Paul discusses this with them. Their hearts went, oh, wow. And they went, wow. They, their hearts probably burned with excitement. I gotta ask you, have you ever, ever been that excited about the Lord where your heart just burned? Where you couldn't just, be, wow, and your heart was overflowing and you burned. If you have that experience, I can guarantee tears aren't far behind. What an experience. You see, John the Baptist was a prophet, and he ministered the old dispensation according to Matthew 11, verses 7 to 14. The old covenant ended not by John at the Jordan. The old covenant ended with Jesus on the cross. You can read that in Hebrews 10, verses 1 to 8. The baptism of John was very, very important to the Jews at that time. You can read that in Matthew 21. But it's no longer for the vow of the church today. Wiersbe again said, in a very real sense, these 12 men were like Old Testament believers who were anticipating the coming of the Messiah. The coming of the Messiah. They believed, they had faith that he was coming. They had faith in Jesus. Paul explains to the men the need for Christian baptism. And what was their response once they heard this? 19.5, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They were baptized. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Jesus gave us instructions on how to baptize back in Matthew 28, 19. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is how Paul baptized them. This is how Paul baptized them. Look at the next couple verses, verses 6 and 7. When Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. There's the apee. It came upon them. There's that a P word. And they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were 12 in all. 
After these men were baptized in the name of Jesus, Paul lays hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon them. Again, the P word. It's interesting to me, there's only three times recorded in the book of Acts where hands are laid on for the receiving of the Holy Spirit. In 8.17, Peter laid hands on the Samaritans and they got the Holy Spirit. When Paul was touched by Jesus Christ on the road to Emmaus, he went to Ananias, Ananias laid hands on him, and he received the Holy Spirit. And now you see it here, there's him. But you can also remember there are two times when the Holy Spirit fell when nobody laid hands on them. Pentecost and chapter 10, Cornelius' house. Remember? Peter gets to Cornelius' house and says, I'm going to tell him about the Holy Spirit. The bang, Holy Spirit fell on him. He didn't even get words finished. Try to put God in a box. Don't try to put him in a box. There are those who believe that after baptism, on your way out of baptism, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen where people are baptized and they're automatically filled with the Holy Spirit when they come out. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. I've seen that happen. I've also seen it happen where people are laid hands on and they receive the Holy Spirit. I've also seen it happen where people just pray to receive the Holy Spirit and they receive the Holy Spirit. What happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon these guys? They speak with gifts. They speak in tongues and prophesy. If you want to know about that, go to 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. They spoke in other languages. What they, they do, they praise God. They prophesy. They brought forth the word of God. R. Kent Hughes says this, and he describes it this way. These men praise God, which is always a sign that the Spirit is at work. They exalted Jesus because the Spirit does not promote himself, but Jesus Christ. The Spirit promotes Jesus Christ, never himself. The Spirit never draws attention to him, but he always points to Jesus Christ. You want to know if somebody's really filled with the Holy Spirit when they're doing all these kind of crazy things? Where's the attention being drawn? Where's the attention going? I guarantee it's going to them. True filling of the Holy Spirit gives all credit, all glory, all honor, and always points the way to Jesus Christ. These men couldn't stop talking about him. Like Apollos, they made a difference in their world. Many believe that these 12 guys became the first elders in the church of Ephesus. They believe that these 12 guys became the core group. Now, there are many who believe that the gifts have ceased. There's many, many, many people, good, wonderful teachers, who believe that the gifts have ceased, that the gifts are no longer valid for today's society, that they ended with the apostolic era. They're gone. I don't attend to that. I believe there still is a gift of healing. I still believe there are all the gifts. I still believe in all the gifts, and I still believe they're valid for the day. My question is, if the gifts have ceased, if they no longer exist, then why did Paul take up three chapters, 12, 13, and 14, in Corinthians' letter to describe the gifts? Was it just for a period of time? I don't know. So what happened? Let's wrap this up. What happened? It's a tough issue for some. And there's a lot of debate on the issues. I'm not going to die. There's not a lot of debate. There's a debate as to whether even these Ephesian disciples were actually Christians or not before they received the remarkable filling of the Holy Spirit. On one hand, they're called disciples. And, and it appears that they, they're company with the Christians of, of Ephesus. Things that they would not usually be said of them if they were not actually Christians. They wouldn't be called disciples. And on the other hand, they know so little about Jesus and the baptism and, and the Holy Spirit. And they're baptized again in water. Let's get personal. What about you? Would someone look at your life 
and see a conspicuous absence of the Holy Spirit? Someone look at you and go, something missing about that Christian life there. Maybe you don't have that peace. You don't have that power in your life. What do you see when you look in your life? These disciples, these Ephesian disciples sensed their need to get right with God, and they knew the answer was God's Messiah, Jesus Christ. But they had gone no further. They needed to go all the way, trust in everything that Jesus is, everything he had done, and be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Is that where you are today? Listen to this quote by Spurgeon. Have you received the Spirit since you believed? Beloved, Are you now receiving the Spirit? Are you living under His divine influence? Are you filled with His power? Put the question personally. I'm afraid some professors will have to admit that they hardly know whether there would be a Holy Ghost, and others will have to confess that they have enjoyed a little of His saving work, yet they do not know much of His enabling and sanctifying influence. Unquote. God always wants to take us deeper. God always wants to take us to a place where you've never been with him. I've said this before. You know me too well. Wouldn't you want everything that God would want for you? Wouldn't you want it? Maybe you've sipped when you should have drunk deeply. Or maybe you drunk deeply when you could have waited. Or maybe you've waited when you should have just taken the nasty plunge and gone right in. Falling right back into the arms of God. Say, Lord, whatever you want from me, I want it. I don't know what it is, but I want it, whatever you want. If you don't really know, if you can't really say perhaps, or if you're saying perhaps I'm walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit right now, perhaps, you know what, I really don't know. If you're walking in the Holy Spirit, you will know. Because Spurgeon said this, you give a man electric shock, I warrant you that he will know it. But if a Holy Ghost, he will know it much more. This isn't something that we hope. It's something that we can know. It's something that we can have actual knowledge on according to biblical knowledge. It's just as much as if you know you have a house. You know you have a family. It's just as much as if you know that four quarters equal a dollar. You can know this as a natural true fact. Many of us... Many Christians know little or nothing mentally or experientially of the Holy Spirit. Paul's question applies to each of us, just like it applied to the Ephesian disciples. Maybe you are filled with the Holy Spirit, praise God. But are you continually being filled? Scripture in Ephesians 5, 18 by Paul, don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The word here is be continually being filled. Are ye being filled? What does that look like? Greg Laurie explains it this way in his book, The Upside Down Church. I quote, to be filled with the Spirit means that God's Spirit is infiltrating every aspect of your life. He is permeating your prayer life, your worship life. He is permeating your business too and the way you treat others. He is permeating all you do and say. To be filled with the Spirit means that I am carried along under the control of Jesus Christ. It means I fill myself with the Word of God so that His thoughts become my thoughts, His standards become my standards, His will becomes my will. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are walking thought by thought, decision by decision, act upon act under the Spirit's influence. Does that describe your walk? Oh, look, the Apostle Paul just walked in. Hi, I'm the Apostle. I'm Dave. 
Is the Apostle Paul going to look into my life and go, hmm, have you received the Holy Spirit? Or is the Apostle Paul going to be able to know that the Holy Spirit dwells in me, the Holy Spirit is upon me, and I'm living day by day under the influence of the Holy Spirit? That's the question of the day. Does your life give evidence to the fullness of the Spirit? I'm going to leave you with this. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 7, which, by the way, Jesus is speaking to the crowd, and it's during the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stands before them, and he says this beautiful, precious verse. John 7, 37 through 39. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Out of his belly will flow torrents of living water. The word here is like a flood. Is there a torrent of living water flowing from your life today? When you see pictures of homeless people and kids, is your heart stirred with a want to do something? If you see someone who is destitute, someone who is hurting, is your heart stirred with want to do something? Do you pass them by and go, I'll pray for you, friend? Is your heart stirred? Because that's the Spirit moving within you. That's the Spirit saying, do something. Paul knew what measures to take to correct the situation, and we should know what measures to take as well. It's our duty to know what measures we should take as Christians to rectify the situation. One more scripture. Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verse 9 through 13. Jesus is speaking. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For anyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open. If a son asks for bread for a father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And that's it. It's a simple fact as asking the Holy Spirit to come into your life. That's all it is. Get alone in your private little prayer closet with Jesus Christ. Let him examine your heart. Let him show you if there's a need there. And I challenge you. I challenge you from this pulpit. I challenge you today to receive the Holy Spirit and see your life change. I challenge you to receive the Holy Spirit and see the changes that God will make in your life today. I challenge you to do that. And I want you to see what God would do in your life. You can't live the Christian life the way it's supposed to be. And get the power. The power of the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to show you and, and fill you afresh. And see what happens. I challenge you. You are You've been listening to Pastor Dave on A Sure Hope. Pastor Dave is working his way through the book of Acts. Did you know that the first martyr for Jesus was a great man of faith? His name was Stephen, and he was bold and courageous to proclaim the name of Jesus to others. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth, even when it cost him his life. What courage in the midst of opposition! 
Do you think you could do the same in this day and age? It's hard to stand up for Jesus when everyone around you is telling you you're intolerant, unloving, and just looking to put people down if you tell them they're doing something wrong. But what makes things right or wrong is firmly rooted in Scripture. It's God's Word that should direct morality, and Stephen was unafraid to go there. If you like this message and would like to catch up on any message you may have missed, head over to AsureHopeRadio.com. There you'll find many messages from the Book of Acts, as well as other series. If you find yourself in the Cape May, New Jersey area, stop in and see us. All the information you need is on our website, location, directions, and service times. And if you prefer to call, you can do that too. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that's 609-884-5821. We'd be happy to answer any questions over the phone. Well, that's all we have time for today, but we've loved spending this time with you. We look forward to the next edition of A Sure Hope. Oh